Welcome to Game of Thrones Abridged on Alt Swift X, in which we compress and condense this long ass series in, in, in into a into a short, convenient, snack sized portion for for your for your viewing pleasure. Listening pleasure. Today we're introducing a new point of view character, a new POV. And that character is Sansa Stark. Sansa Stark. Uh, and 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 the chapter begins uh, thusly. So 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 they're on the road down to King's Landing. All 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 the Starks and and the King and 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 the Lannisters and and and, and all them. And uh and and the the King and and the whoever's some of them have gone off on a hunt. Uh. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Sa- Sansa is uh, having breakfast uh, with with Septimordain, and Septimordain is like that that nun lady, the 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 the, the sister, the scepter, the like a priestess, but more of a nun uh, is who Septimordain is, and she sort of is the is the is the minder and the wrangler of the Stark daughters, uh, Sansa and Arya. Uh, no, uh, but Arya isn't here. Uh, apparently she wasn't hungry, but Sansa knows she actually must have snuck down to the kitchens to grab some food of her own. Uh, but but Sansa is dining on bread and honey, and she's feeding her direwolf under the table. Uh, feeding Lady her direwolf under the table. Uh, and Mordain is, is generally very approving of, 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 of Sansa. Uh, but here she says, oh, you shouldn't feed your dog under the table. And Sansa is like, oh, it's not a direwolf. It's not a dog, it's a direwolf. Uh, so it doesn't count. Uh, so so Sansa is 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 a good girl by Mordain's description, but she does have this bond with her direwolf lady, which is a bit uh, unusual, unorthodox. Uh, but 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 what's going on here is that Sansa is really excited because she's going to get to uh, ride with the queen today. Since the king's off hunting, there's there's room in the queen's carriage to go sit and 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 to and to recline on pillows and eat lemon cakes all day, uh, and so Sansa is honoured and excited to be around the queen and and the princess Marcella and all her ladies. So she's putting a lot of effort into being pretty and picking her nicest blue silks and blah blah blah, and she's most excited about being around Joffrey, Prince Joffrey who she's hoping to marry. Uh, and, and she talks about how, well, Sansa doesn't really know Joffrey very well, but she's already in love with him because he's so pretty and and he's so tall and handsome and, most importantly, he's a prince. And if you're a prince, you must be dreamy. So Sansa is very much the t- teenage, or not even teenage, the sort of, she's girlish and sort of into all the pageantry and the stories and the songs. She's super, super naive. And of course, what her future arc will be is a brutal stripping away of this naivety as Sansa learns the horrors of reality. She learns some very unpleasant lessons later, but for now, she is a blank slate. She is full of these, of these, of these childish dreams. Uh, so yeah, she's excited to hang out with the Queen and the Prince. Um, and so she sort of runs, she goes off to, to the inn. She finishes breakfast and she goes back to the inn this day. Which, by the way, the inn is, is, is the Crossroads Inn. Uh, which is sort of halfway between 
wind to Felon King's Landing or a bit further. Um, and and that is the same inn, the same inn that later uh, Catelyn Stark bumps into Tyrion Lannister and arrests him. Uh, most momentous, momentous of occasions, and also the same inn uh, where where Arya and Sandor get into that fight with some of Gregor's men, and Sandor takes all those wounds that that kill him or seemingly kill him in the books. Uh, so, th- so th- like, there's a whole bunch of events. Like, like, we come back and again and again to this inn, and it's actually interesting to see how the inn itself and its proprietors change, because uh, we see that the inn changes hands in various ways and and gets run down in various ways, and so it's it's the the inn at the crossroads is like a barometer of how the rest of Westeros is doing. It's like the price of a Big Mac. You know how that's like the Big Mac index. You know how that's a thing. It's like a weather vane, an economic weather vane for what's going on. The the, the 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 state of the inn at the crossroads is kind of that for Westeros, perhaps. Anyway, um, but 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 it's a place of some renown, uh, or at least of some significance. Uh, but but there's um, so they're talking about how pretty they've got to be because they've got to impress the queen and blah 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 blah. Um, and Sansa goes and finds Arya, and she's like, "Yo, Arya, you got to get on your prettiest dress and get get up and you know do the." lady stuff and I was like no I'm not doing that I'm going I'm going adventuring with my mate with my mate Micah and we're going to look for rubies and Sansa's like what are you what are you talking about rubies what are you huh uh and she's like oh Rhaegar's rubies Prince Rhaegar was killed near here by Robert Baratheon we want to go find all those rubies that were knocked off his breastplate by Robert's warhammer so 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 that's doing two things. Firstly, it's Aya uh, showing Aya's sort of adventurous, curious spirit, but it's also sneakily doing us a little bit of exposition, reminding us of the backstory with Robert's Rebellion and stuff. It's really tricky writing, like giving world-building history background stuff that the readers need to know, but not in a way that feels like a history lesson. George Martin is pretty good at sneaking in those little history lessons as part of the story in a way that feels natural so that you'll learn without even noticing it. Stealth education is the best kind. Uh, uh, and, um... So I was like, yeah, no, I, I want to go fucking exploring. And Sansa's like, you can't do that. you got to hang out with the queen. Um, and and I was like, no, but it sucks if you're just sitting in a little carriage thing because there aren't even any windows. You can't see outside to, to all the cool stuff. There's so much cool stuff to see. And Sansa's like, what, what, what could be cooler than looking at, a, at the queen in the carriage? And I, was, and I describes some of the adventures she's been having. Well, she's been riding around and doing cool stuff. And she describes the neck. Uh, so the neck is that is that narrow uh, bit of land in between the north and the rest of Westeros, and the neck is like this big marshy, boggy place, which incidentally was made such by the magic of the children of the forest, the little hippie pixie elves who who, who turned the neck into a swamp uh, in order to try and prevent the advance of the of the first man uh, thousands of years ago using fucking shape like world shaping magics like uh, t- it's like terraforming almost the children of the forest have some seriously like like intense powerful geologically significant magics uh would be handy if you were trying to terraform mars i reckon uh elon musk should give them a call, but uh, so they describe the neck, and uh, and Sansa Sansa is like, oh, the neck, it's muddy, it's gross, Blah. but uh, but Aya sees a lot of beauty and excitement in the neck, and she talks about all the creatures she sees there, and all the flowers, the pretty flowers. She brought flowers to uh, to give to Ned, which is adorable, and Ned, and Sansa was hoping that Ned would tell her off and tell her to 
be more sensible. But um, Ned was just happy about it and hugged her. Uh, so we get a, a little mention of the of the nice relationship that uh, Ned has with her do- with his daughter Aya. Um, Oh, and they mentioned that. Well, I actually ends up getting a rash from well, the plants she was she was t- entangled with in the neck, uh, and so she was itching. She's got like this rash, uh, and and Sansa's like, oh, and then since Arya is such a bloody ruffian, she then uh, someone someone told her that you should rub mud on on the rash and it would stop itching, uh, and she did it. The the complete mad woman. She did it. Um, Sansa doesn't mention whether it actually works. Uh, of course, because Sansa is more interested in the way things look and the way things fit into the ideal of lady-likeness. Arya is more of a pragmatist. If something might work, she'll try it. Uh, she's and she's and she's open to the ideas of others, which is important. Sansa is displaying like a lot of ignorance. Like like Arya says, how like look, you should you should come with us. You should come adventuring and riding with us. You'll have a great time. It'll be awesome. But Sansa's like, no, fuck, I'm not trying something new. I just want to do this other thing. So unlike Sansa, Arya is very open to new ideas, very open to learning and adapting. She's very adaptable. We see lots of really great qualities in Arya in this chapter. Sansa, perhaps not so much. Um, so yeah, they're sort of talking about adventuring versus ladylike stuff. I also talks about how yeah, she talks about how she likes to go talk to people, all, all the people who are walking in the wagons, and and she talks to serving girls and grooms and old men and naked children and rough-spoken free riders and uh, it, yeah, it says Aya will make friends with anybody, you know. So so again, Aya is like super open to new experiences, open to talking with people and engaging and learning. She's curious, which is all these great qualities that we that we see her use to great effect later on in her arc. All of these qualities she uses to survive and to adapt uh, in 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 the rest of her arc. Um, but yes, yeah, Sansa not so adaptable. If there isn't a lemon cake in it for her, she ain't interested. Uh, Sansa came here to eat lemon cakes and be a lady, and she is not all out of lemon cakes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and I was like, oh, I don't even like the queen. Why would I want to hang out with the queen? And Sansa's like, <gasps> you don't like the queen? How can you not like the queen? This is, Don't you remember? This is a feudal society. We've all got to pretend that the monarchy are all superhuman god-endowed meta-ubermensch. And I was like, nah, fuck it. Uh, so you got to love that. Uh, and I is trying to groom Nymeria... Um, but Nymeria is being disobedient, and so the direwolves are reflecting the personalities of their owners here. So Lady is very ladylike for a direwolf, um, whereas whereas Nymeria is a bit wilder. Um, uh, and so we have more lemon cake banter, um, and Sansa's quite upset by Aya's disobedience. Uh, she wants Aya to fall in line, and so we have this line here, which really just sums up. Sansa at this point in her story. Sansa says that all Sansa wants is for things to be pretty and nice the way they are in the songs. Which just says it all, you know? Uh, She's been brought up on this diet of the Westerosi equivalent of Disney princess movies, and that's what she wants the world to be. It's 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 quite similar. Like I reckon Robert Baratheon, he also was raised on a diet of Disney Disney movies or similar. Because like in the same way that Robert wants to believe in a world where he can be a good person by being good at hitting things, 
and 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 there being baddies and goodies and becoming the king and getting the girl and winning the game and that's sort of how Robert wants to live that simplistic notion of the world Sansa has her own sort of feminine equivalent of that sort of ideal which is believing that as long as she's pretty enough and she says the right things and she's courteous and she wears her best dress then everything will be okay and she'll be a good person like i mean i guess we all fundamentally live in a simplified version of reality. We can't all account for every complexity and subtlety in the world. We all live in some kind of limited bubble to some extent. But, to, yeah, but to varying degrees. Um, and, yeah, Sansa and Robert Baratheon's little bubbles of reality are relatively quite limited indeed, although Sansa's rapidly expands over the course of her arc. Robert Baratheon's bubble gets popped. Uh, So, yeah, and so uh, Sansa talks about some of the other people in her life. She talks about Jon. uh, And so we also, so we start to see like a dark side to her sort of simplistic uh, 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 lady-like whole attitude. Uh, Because she talks about how, oh, Jon's mother, you know, Jon isn't a Stark. Jon's a bastard. Jon's mother was a common woman. Um, And and so Sansa's prejudiced against Jon. Uh, because of a, of his bastardy. So we see how these social systems not only like dictate Sansa's behavior, but it also negatively impacts her attitudes on other people. Um, so there's definite harms associated with this system, uh, and Sansa will witness many more as her arc progresses. Uh, but anyway, so uh, Sansa's heading into the sort of uh, the Queen's wheelhouse where all the nobility are hanging out uh, and there's some sort of commotion happening a bunch of people have arrived um, have arrived to meet the royal procession so we're introduced to three characters who have come to meet the procession heading down to King's Landing uh, three men uh, so we're introduced to these three men the first man wears, wears this white enameled armour and he's an old man uh, with white hair but he's strong and he's graceful despite his age and he wears the cloak of a king's guard. So this man is of course Barristan Selmy, the one the one the the, the, the the Barry the Bold. Barry the Bold they call him. And so he's this legendary hero, this amazing fighter who everyone respects he's, and he and honors his exploits in all these wars and stuff. Uh, and he was a member of the King's Guard since Ares days. Uh, and Barristan, of course, later becomes a point of view character himself. Uh, I mean quite far away later in the story. Um, but yeah, Barrison's cool. Uh, and we also are introduced to a man, the handsomest man that Sansa has ever seen, wearing deep forest green armor with an antlered helm, with long black hair that falls to his shoulders, and laughing green eyes. So this, you might not recognize this guy by his description if you haven't read the books, because this is Renly Baratheon, the 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 younger brother of of Robert Baratheon and Stannis Baratheon. Uh, so he's that other king who we see, uh, who who is important in book and season two. So Renly is strikingly different in the show compared to the book. In the book, he's got this forest green armor and this long black hair, and the, and he's the handsomest man that Sansa has ever seen. Most of the Game of Thrones show actors and actresses are more attractive than their book counterpoints most of the time. Renly, not so much so, because the show Renly is not super, super handsome in the way he's described here. Uh, But anyway, he's here, uh, and another thing, like, Renly obviously has a much bigger role in the books, well, he has a bigger role in the books than he does in the show, 
And one of the qualities, characteristics that's emphasized in this chapter is that he's sort of a jokester and he likes sort of making fun of people and, and he likes to laugh and to make people laugh. And we see this in this chapter. Oh, and yeah, also we're introduced to Ilan Payne, which is an awesome name, by the way. Ilan Payne, who is, of course, the executioner for the king. A gaunt, grim man with a big sword, deep-set eyes and hollow cheeks. This, he's this cadaverous figure. Um, in iron grey chainmail, and Sansa is quite disturbed by this figure. Um, and yeah, and yeah, Ilan Payne is glaring at Sansa, uh, and Sansa's freaked out by this, and she sort of steps back and she bumps into another scary fucker. She bumps into Sandor Clegane, the Hound, and the Hound's like, "Ooh, do I frighten you, girl?" Um, and so Sansa's a bit startled by all this, and she sort of, uh, she freaks out, and she sort of crouches down, and her direwolf growls and comes to sort of protect her a bit. And so all the people who are gathered around with all the royals are doing stuff are all suddenly looking at her. And Sansa's all sort of embarrassed and, 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 um, and sort of put off. Uh, and people are like, wow, shit, she's got a fucking direwolf mate whoa what what because of course you know a direwolf is not a dog it's not a wolf it is a semi-magical semi-mythological powerful creature that, that this little girl is just walking around with like it's a little chihuahua but it's not like this is like 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 if you're just walking down the street with like your like your equivalent of like a komodo dragon like people are gonna notice uh and in this chapter people do um, and so everyone sort of titters, and, and Sansa's very sort of embarrassed, and, oh, everyone's looking at me, oh. Um, and then, and then her prince comes to save her. So Joffrey comes, and he says, leave her alone. Oh, I'll protect you, sweet lady, I'll protect you from harm. Oh, so Joffrey does the princely thing. Um, which is interesting. So Joffrey is very much able to do the sort of... Uh, good-seeming, good-natured, righteous sort of, oh, I'm a good little prince-man thing. Uh, which really only sort of makes it makes him scarier, doesn't he? Because he is, of course, as we later learn, a, a violent fucking psychopath, um, but he's also capable of seeming like a goodish person, which is terrifying. Um, so... Uh, so yeah, Joffrey comes to a rescue, and Sansa um, is is much impressed by that. Uh, and they talk about yeah, ill and pain. Uh, and so yeah, Sansa names and sort of chats with some of these three people who have just introduced. So Barristan and Renly, and yeah, Renly sort of makes fun of some people and jokes around and stuff. Um, but 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 Ilan Payne is still glaring at her, and Sansa's pretty freaked out by it. Um, she feels that her soul is left naked before him in his gaze. Um, and so Sansa asks, like, why Ilan is such a fucking freak show. Uh, and apparent, and yeah, we're told that the, 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 the Mad King Ares ripped his tongue out with hot pincers. Uh, and for that reason, Ilan has not been very talkative these last 14 years. I- Ilan Payne is an interesting character, and th- they feature him a fair bit in the first season of Game of Thrones, but then he disappears from the show entirely, because sadly the actor died of cancer, I believed. Um, so Ilan hasn't had much of a role since, uh, as you would expect. They haven't tried to resurrect him as they have with, like... Um, 
with like Tarkin in Rogue One. You see that? They're replacing actors with CGI versions of themselves, which is creepy. Uh, so that's a thing. Um, and so basically they're talking about how... All right, so now, since all these new people have arrived, uh, they're going to be talking and, and meeting and chatting with, with the Queen and all them for the rest of the day. Therefore, Sansa can't hang out with the Queen for the rest of the day, but what she can do is go hang out with Joffrey for the rest of the day, which at any point later in the series, Sansa would be horrified by. But of course, at this point, Sansa is overwhelmed with joy to be hanging out with her beloved prince, his, the golden boy, who, he, who she has this girlish crush on. Uh, yeah, she she gazes at Joffrey worshipfully. Worshipfully. Isn't that a wonderful word? Gallant. He's so gallant, she thinks. Just like the songs. So we keep having reference to the songs. Um, uh, and so Joffrey's like, hmm, well, what do you want to do today? And Sansa's like, oh, I'll do whatever you want to do, Joffles. Little, little Jaffles. Little Jafflesby. Little Prince ja- Jaffle, 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 Jafflebuff. Uh, and Sa- and Joffrey's like, let's go riding. Uh, and I is like, oh, I love riding. And the bit that 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 is that is crushingly sad about that is that just a few pages before, uh, when Sansa was talking to Arya, and Arya was saying, oh, Arya, sis, come adventuring with me. You'll it'll be awesome. You'll have fun. We'll bond. It'll be great. But but when she says that, Sansa is like, oh, I hate riding. It just gets you dirty and gross. Oh. Uh, but now when Joffrey suggests riding, Sansa's like, oh, I love riding. So Sansa is is fucking weak as shit, basically. She's just super willing to, to let others shape her. She she conforms to the wills of others at the slightest bit of pressure, uh, which you know of course she's like uh, she's a child and that's whatever. But you can't help but contrast this to Arya, who is so strong-willed and knows who she is and what she's about, um, which which she does pretty well by. Well, although you, you can of course point out that you know for all her qualities, Arya does end up a, a, a death cult member. Uh, which is not a great outcome, whereas Sansa is at least relatively safe-ish. So, you know, different different strategies, different strokes for different folks, whatever. Um, but yeah, Sansa is at this point very malleable, um, desperate to fit for the approval of others. Um, and yeah, yeah, so we get a line here about how... Um, so Sansa makes a little mistake, and then she's like... Oh, she's like... Um, mortified that she makes this mistake in front of Joffrey and she's like oh Joffrey will never love me if I seem stupid so she's very sort of self-punishing and and desperate to please and blah 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 um and then Joffrey has a sword that he's very pleased about he's 12 years old by the way and then they go off and have fun together so they're going adventuring and riding together uh, which ironically is not dissimilar to what Aya was inviting Sansa to do. And it's a magical day, and they have an adventure, and they ride with reckless abandon, and they it, one, it mentions that they track a shadow cat to its lair, which is just this offhanded thing. But shadow cats are like panthers. Like, shadow cats are like big cats, dangerous cats. And it's kind of weird that they just offhandedly mention these two children, like, hunting a giant, like, puma motherfucker. That's kind of weird. I, I get the feeling that when George R. Martin wrote this about a shadow cat, he didn't have a very firm idea of what a shadow cat was in his mind, because later on, shadow cats are mentioned as, like, dangers. So there might be an inconsistency there. 
Maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, and they also st- stop off at a little hold fast, and, and Joffrey says, oh, bring me some food. Like, he goes to, like, a little inn and says, yo, I'm the fucking prince. Bring me shit for free. And they do. Which, you know, would be nice. Feudalism does suck for a great many people, but wouldn't it be nice to just walk into someone's house and say, I would like your food now, please? That would be great. Uh, well, it would be great for the prince, and it would suck for anyone else. Hashtag feudalism. Um, and so they drink, and they eat, and they drink more than than they otherwise would. Um, yeah, classic, classic pushy boyfriend move. Uh, Joffrey is, like, encouraging Sansa to drink more, uh, refilling her cup. Uh, Joffrey sings for her. We don't see him do that in the show. Uh, his voice is high and sweet and pure. So something that they do emphasize a bit more in the in the books is that Joffrey is quite a pretty boy. Um, he's he's tall and he's got these blonde locks. Like you know, you don't really get that vibe so much from Joffrey in the show. Um, I mean, not to be rude to the actor, but he kind of looks like a little shit. You know, he's sort of got that face. Whereas in the books, Joffrey is very much a pretty boy. So yeah, he is an example of like I think I complained before about ugly people being baddies, which is definitely a thing in George's books. But yeah, there certainly are also these pretty boys who are also. Uh, crazy psychos. Um, we also see this first warning sign of Joffrey's fascination with violence. So Joffrey, like I before, uh, talks about how Rhaegar Targaryen was killed near here by Robert Baratheon. And so Joffrey, like an idiot, gets up and demonstrates how Rhaegar was killed and he swings an imaginary warhammer and says, Crunch! Smashed in the chest right through his armor! Um, which is something we see Joffrey do a few times. He's, he he does have this fascination with violence, which is um, uh, worrisome. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're like, oh, let's go ride off. And while they're riding off, uh, they hear a clack, clack, clack sound, and they go and investigate, and they see uh, these two people, this this scrawny girl and this and this dirty boy who are like play fighting with sticks, like sword fighting. Um, and and Joffrey and Sansa are like, who are these fucking dirty peasant kin going fucking on their shenanigans? Uh, but of course they realise that the girl is Arya, and the boy is Arya's friend Micah, the butcher's boy, who Arya has befriended. Uh, and they're going and having a good time, and Joffrey, of course, has to fuck it all up. And this is a scene that is done almost word for word in the show. Um, so Joffrey confronts Micah and Arya and creates problems, and Arya defends the butcher's boy, and and Joffrey is just really terrible, um, and he, yeah, he provokes and threatens, and he actually pricks Micah's face with, with, with Joffrey's sword, um, so Joffrey is really quite awful, and he's enjoying causing fear and pain to this innocent child, uh, and then Aya decides she's had a bloody enough, because she's fucking Aya, go girl, and she smacks the prince across the back of his head with a piece of wood, uh, and then she throws a rock at his head, and Aya really goes to town on Joffrey, actually. It's, Aya is more violent here than she is in the show. She goes pretty hard in the paint, uh, actually. Um, and so they get into a fight, and so Joffrey is enraged, he is screaming obscenities, he is, and, uh, and Aya and Joffrey just go at it, 
Um, and Sansa, of course, is horrified by this. Like, it's awful to see her perfect prince behaving terribly and her sister behaving in an unladylike way. This is like princess mode Disneyland nightmare for, for Sansa. This is not how it is in the songs. So they're fighting, and Arya gets knocked down, and, and, and Joffrey looks like he's about to chop her fucking head off. But then Deus ex Direwolf again for the second time already, and Nymeria turns up to, to save Arya and, and grab Joffrey's sword arm, and, and Nymeria savages Joffrey. Um, and Arya has this badass moment of, of grabbing Joffrey's sword and pointing it at him and, and showing, aha, I've, I've won. And she chooses uh, to throw Joffrey's sword into the river uh, and end the violence. Um, and then she runs off, and then and then Sansa's like, "Oh, my poor prince!" And she comes to his rescue and goes to his side and says, "Oh, can I help you? Can I kiss your wounds better? Can I can I get you? Can I make you some tea or some pomegranate juice?" And Joffrey says, "Don't touch me," and he looks at Sansa with quote nothing but loathing, nothing but the vilest contempt, and he spits at her, "Don't touch me." So Joffrey's got a lot of pain in there. He's got a lot of anger. He's got a lot of hate. Joffrey, we learn here, is a twisted, unhappy individual, uh, which only gets worse as things go on. But importantly, we've also learned a lot about Arya and Sansa. Honestly, I feel like we learn as much about Arya as we do about Sansa in this chapter. I mean, Sansa is, in a lot of ways, very just sort of passive, She's sort of a blank slate. She just sort of does what she's told. Uh, and her defining characteristic is wanting to be a lady, <coughs> wanting to be like in the songs, wanting to marry the prince, wanting to be a good little little patriarch, patriarch oppressed lady person. That's sort of her deal. Whereas Aya bucks against that and is a strong individual, wants to do her own fucking thing. Um, so they're opposites in that respect. Meanwhile, Joffrey is a twat. I think that sums it up. So thank you for listening to this episode of Old Swift X's Game of Thrones Abridged. The schedule, of course, uh, is Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. That's New York time. Uh, and we're going to keep that schedule up for a while and see how it goes. Uh, so thank you for listening and look forward to another episode on Wednesday. Cheers. <laughs>